0: Hello, Mickey here. Welcome to one of this week's Sunday Chops. Over on the other one, we're talking how to calm the fuck down with best-selling anti-guru Sarah Knight. This one is the third and final part in our series of chats around fertility. The first finds me and Hannah chatting with Top Birdie from Mcardle about flying solo on the whole baby making process with IUI. In the second, Jen and I catch up with fat positive fertility coach Nicola Salmon. To chat about her campaign, Fat Fertility Matters, the myths surrounding weight and pregnancy, and we touch on why diet culture should just fuck right off. And in the interview you're about to hear, I talk to Christine Robertson, former participant in the IVF Indignity Olympics. We chat about her experiences trying to get pregnant, how IVF is a big test of a person's dignity, sense of humour and sanity, and what she did when it didn't work. Fertility problems are estimated to affect one in six or one in seven in the UK, approximately 3.5 million people. Around 68,000 fertility treatments are performed in UK licensed clinics per year with the live birth rate after IVF just shy of 30% according to the latest figures from the HFEA. That is the Human Fertilisation and Embryology Authority An in-depth info is available at www.hfea.gov.uk. The cost of private IVF treatment in the UK clocks in at around five grand per cycle, with the price of a course varying from one clinic to another and also depending on what treatment you require. Stats aren't in the patient's favour. Fertility Network UK provides free and impartial support, advice, information and understanding for anyone affected by fertility issues. And you can find them at fertilitynetworkuk.org. And if you are thinking of going down the IVF route or you're already on that journey, we're sending you all of the positive vibes. I am joined on the phone by writer Christine Robertson to chat about her experiences and what she has previously termed the IVF Olympics. Hey, Christine. (laughs) Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm all right. Thanks very much for joining us. Can you kick off by telling us about your experiences with IVF and what led you down that path in the first place?
1: Sure. So my husband and I had been trying to conceive naturally for at least a year, I think. I think the the NHS make you try to conceive naturally for i think between sort of one and three years before sending you down the ivf route Mm -hmm. we'd got to that point and it's a bit frustrating because it's been at least a year or so and and they're like okay we're ready to send you down ivf and you're like well yeah i feel like we could have got here a bit quicker but okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) there are like three key components of ivf treatment there's the egg collection then there's fertilization and then there's embryo transfer and so those are kind of the three key elements and then what happens around those three elements depend on what you might need individually so I had four rounds of treatment one of them was medicated like the maximum dosage two of them were natural IVF with like no medication
0: I don't understand what that means
1: <laughs> um, so you'll go in for your egg collection. In theory they will collect the one egg that your body will have naturally produced that oh, month. Okay, yeah. So yeah, if you have medicated IVS, you will be taking injections to help stimulate the growth of as many eggs as possible for oh, so them to collect. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So with medicated IVS they'll be collecting, I don't know, upwards of ten eggs ideally that the injections will have helped to stimulate. But because of my circumstances, so the reason we were having trouble conceiving naturally, it turned out was because I had a low egg count. So the quality and number of my eggs were was quite low. This wasn't really determined until after we'd already had one round of full medicated IVF. The consultant kind of said, well, there's no point in kind of blasting you with loads of drugs because you've already got quite a low egg count. I think that natural IVF is probably the best course for you. So I had no drug. They collected the one egg that my body naturally produced, fertilized it with my husband's sample, and then transferred the embryo back in. We had three or four different types of treatment. And even though the sort of consistent thing was that none of them worked, Actually, the attempts kind of varied. Some attempts were better than others, which was quite interesting. It was our final attempt that was actually the best attempt.
0: And was that natural or medicated?
1: That was mild medication. Mildy. So a bit of stimulating medication. And it kind of gave us two embryos in the end, which was the most we'd had. And both were transferred So, yeah, it was interesting to go, like, our our worst attempt was when during a natural IVF cycle, I had no egg to collect at all. (laughs) That was pretty crushing to kind of wake up and be told that, you know, there wasn't even an egg to collect. And that's the end of your go. Like, it just sort of ends there and you still have to pay for it, you know, if if you're private. So, yeah, it was a mixed bag of treatments.
0: (laughs) It feels like there's a lot of waiting and hoping, which must be fucking agonising.
1: Yeah it, yeah, it really is. If you've got to the embryo transfer stage, you then go into a, they call it the two week wait before you find out if it's worked or not. And it is the most agonising fortnight of your life. <laughs> because all you're thinking about is I wonder what's going on, I wonder if it's working and you're kind of googling like what an embryo would normally be doing at this stage and and like trying to look for signs to see if you can feel anything in your body that might give you a sign that it's working or not. There's a lot of waiting uh, and a lot of hoping. I think if I was to do it again, I would just book more things in during that time to keep me occupied, to mm-hmm. keep me distracted. <laughs> Because otherwise you can kind of send yourself a bit insane, kind of wondering what's going on.
0: (laughs) Yeah, does does your body start to feel a bit alien to you? Like you're searching for signals and reading stuff that is or isn't there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Certainly for me anyway, I was always looking for signs of like, do I feel any different? Or I wonder if, you know, this twinge means that that's happening. Because it's just happening out of sight and you have no control over it, you do try and look for signs and it's it's probably all nonsense and in your head when you think you can feel things. But, but you need to feel like like you can sense something just to kind of help you get through it, I think. You wrote a
0: piece for us called the IVF Olympics and it became quite clear that you fast discovered you really had to work to keep a sense of humour
1: humor has been a coping mechanism for me for many years <laughs> so um that's just how i get through difficult times and ivf was no different i mean it's a very it's a stressful process and it's testing and it's challenging and it can be very expensive depending on you know what what kind of treatment you're going for uh-huh. looking for things that were funny and trying to keep your sense of humour was was just how I coped really and just helped me get through it <laughs> there were a
0: few things that made you giggle though right
1: I mean you are it's it's really undignified a lot of the time and you know there there are times when you will wake up from the egg collection and you'll know that a doctor is just rounded a- up your anus while you were asleep you know (laughs) um and it's just just the indignity of like being asleep with your parts on display i mean i know it's their job and they're professionals but um There are lots of things about it that are really undignified. (laughs) You know, your husband's going into a cupboard to look at some rank mags and hopefully produce the amazing sample that's going to help make this process work. But there are receptionists having conversations about their lunch or Strictly, you know, the night before that he can hear, you know. Just, you know, embarrassing myself about my limited knowledge of my own body. I mean, after the embryo transfer, you're made to go to the loo can't remember why. I think they make you drink lots of water before an embryo transfer because it helps them see what they're doing better like in the in the x-ray
0: when i went for an ultrasound recently nothing to do with pregnancy at all they make you drink i think it's a pint and a half because then they can see better and i was just twitching ready to go for a wee
1: totally and so then when you when it's over you're busting for a wee but my first instinct is well um, am i just gonna piss the embryo back out like isn't that really dangerous and then a, a nurse has to explain to you that you know you kind of piss out of a different tube, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, of course, yeah, I knew that. So, you know, there's lots of, like, there are lots of moments that are embarrassing and are undignified and I, I have to be able to laugh at them or, you know, you would just cry otherwise and that's no fun.
0: <laughs> it's a weird process and then it sounds like it's incredibly bonding for a couple because it's a lot to put yourself through, but it, it must also be very stressful for a relationship.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a very... Testing time hopefully you're both going into it on the same page um, and hopefully you'll come out the other side of it as we did feeling stronger but I can totally see how it can lead to relationships kind of breaking down. I don't know what the answer is only to say that if you are doing it with a partner just to always be honest about what you want and how you're feeling and is this still right for both of you and just be supportive of each other I mean that kind of sounds like a no-brainer but yeah we felt lucky to come out the other side stronger as opposed to weaker I guess
0: I think that's great advice for a relationship in general (laughs) just to like make sure you're on the same page be honest with each other yeah and in the medicated processes is that when they put hormones in you
1: yes So the medicated cycle I had included, I think, two different types of hormones. I might be wrong, but yeah, it definitely included like hormone treatment. And did you find there Um, were any
0: dodgy side effects from those or just side effects?
1: I personally didn't notice any. I know lots of women can experience nausea and find it quite unpleasant sort of the effects of the injections. Mm -hmm. So weirdly, I didn't. That was fine. For me, actually, my biggest reaction in terms of kind of my body struggling with it was actually after the embryo transfer. So when I was during the two-week wait to find out if it had worked or not, afterwards, you're given progesterone. You're given, like, suppositories or pessaries and they are to help thicken the womb lining to help the embryo implant you have to take those every day and during one cycle taking those pessaries after the embryo transfer I developed like quite severe constipation (laughs) again undignified (laughs) Um, that was the only time during any of the process where I felt like my body was having a sort of negative reaction to treatment. I assume it will be different for, you know, for everyone. Yeah. That was the worst it got for me. <laughs> yeah, gross.
0: <laughs> got plans for Valentine's Day? No, me either. Actually, that's a lie. I do. And those plans are moving to a new location as of... February the 14th in London, we will be at King's Place near King's Cross and we will be hosting the fantastic Dame Claire of Balding and the excellent Sarah Pasco. Tickets are on sale now, so, you know, get them quickly because they are going to sell like baked goods that are warm. Get yourself over to uk forward slash standard hyphen issue where you can find out about this and all of our other excellent shows. I've got to ask, are there any positive aspects to the whole process?
1: <laughs> it's hard to find them, to be honest. Uh-huh. But that, but then that, I don't want to suggest that it is an entirely miserable and stressful experience because a lot of the IVF process is about being hopeful and remembering why you're doing it and thinking positively because you're doing it for a good reason and wanting it to work and imagining it working and how amazing it would be if it worked. So whilst there might not be anything positive about the treatment itself, remembering the reasons why you're doing it is a positive thing and hopefully you'll have nurses and doctors or consultants who are supportive and encouraging and sympathetic and will help you feel at ease or do their best to make you feel comfortable it's an odd one it's not yeah it's it's hard to find the positives but there are some (laughs) but most it is quite intensive and and taxing
0: (laughs) you have to put your utter trust in the hands of these professionals did you feel vulnerable?
1: I don't think I ever felt vulnerable. I felt like, well, these people are experienced and they know what they're talking about. And so, yeah, like you say, I'm going to trust that they know best. I always felt like we were in safe hands. For me, there was never any doubt that this could be going better if we if we were seeing a different clinic or if we tried it a different way. I always trusted that they knew what was best. I'm aware that there are lots of stories about you know clinics trying to find add-on treatments and stuff that you might not necessarily need I was actually quite surprised when we the first private clinic we went to sort of looked at our stats and said actually I think natural IVF is probably the best fit for you and you know if that was a clinic who was just interested in making money they wouldn't be recommending natural IVF because it obviously the drugs are what you know clock up the pounds when you're yeah. when you're paying for treatment so I did feel like they were always working in our best interest there was always trust there I personally never felt like we were being taken for a ride or exploited in any way
0: well that's really good to hear and you've said that you yep. went private yeah a lot of talk around the postcode lottery to do with IVF was that something that made you decide to go private
1: our first attempt was on the NHS it might be different now, but certainly then, so this is about five years ago, I think they were giving everyone the same medicated round, regardless of their circumstances. Right. So where we live, we were able to have two rounds of IVF on the NHS, but the second round we could only have if there had been enough embryos from the first round to freeze and then Use on the second round sadly we didn't have any embryos to freeze after our first round we just had the one embryo Mm -hmm. and so that meant that our NHS journey stopped there and so then we saved and raised some money between ourselves and family who were very kind and able to kind of help us out that allowed us to go private
0: you've touched on this a couple of times but sadly IVF didn't end up working for you. it must have been a heartbreaking decision to stop how did you come to that decision
1: On the one hand, it it was very easy (laughs) to decide to stop. We ran out of money, you know, that was the reality Mm -hmm. of it. We kind of made it go as far as we could. And luckily for us, because natural slash mild IVF was deemed more suitable for us, it did mean we could afford more treatment because they're not as expensive to have natural or, or mild IVF. Coming out of the side of four rounds of treatment over a period of about a year and a half, when you've got nothing to show for it and you've got no money left. Like obviously it's it's crushing. Yeah. I mean you know you know going into the process that actually the odds are against you, you know, the success rates are quite low. It's maybe no more than forty percent success rate, I think. Correct. So it's it's risky, you know, there's there's risks throughout the process. And I don't think anyone goes into IVF blind to that. It was upsetting and hard. However, there was also an element of relief that it was over (laughs) and that it it wasn't going to kind of dominate our lives for a bit. We needed to take a break and just stop thinking about it all the time. You do what you can to move forward. And so, I mean, I don't think we would ever have IVF again if we were able to afford it, partly because, you know, I'm five years older now and it will be that much harder. Yeah. But there are, you know, there are other routes available if you want to have a family. There's fostering, there's adoption. Those are both very much still on the table for us when we're ready. And I suppose because we were never told it's impossible for you to conceive naturally, there was still a glimmer of hope that we might be able to conceive naturally. You kind of find positives and things to still be hopeful about, you know, even when it hasn't worked. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like
0: the very practical British way of dealing with it is you find hope in small places and just keep going because what else can you do?
1: exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I don't regret it at all. I'm glad we did it. We learned a lot. You know, I learned a lot about my own body and kind of my reproductive system and (laughs) and kind of what's going on there. And then we'll just see. Who knows? We've still got each other and that's awesome, you know?
0: (laughs) What advice would you give to someone who is about to start IVF?
1: They should know that it will be testing and a challenge. And so staying positive, finding things that bring you joy and that you love to do or that make you laugh or whatever during the process is so important. Finding things to keep you occupied and upbeat is so important. It's really hard to stay positive in the face of stats that are not in your favour But you have to because otherwise the whole thing will just be a miserable process. Yeah. Look after yourself. Treat yourself. You deserve to find laughter and enjoy yourself where you can whilst it's happening because it's stressful and it will take its toll. Yeah. Find things that make you happy to help you get through it, I guess.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I guess because obviously it's going to be a huge focus, but it's important to have those other distractions. It can't be the only thing in your life.
1: Absolutely. It's can totally start to dominate your mind and send you a bit doolally if it's all you're thinking about so book time in with friends go to the cinema or go for a walk or you know do whatever it is that makes you happy that keeps you distracted otherwise you might go a bit insane with it all (laughs) um yeah (laughs)
0: christine thank you so much for really straight talking good solid candid advice really appreciate it
1: oh my pleasure i hope it's helpful (laughs) to someone thanks for letting me talk about it
0: standard issue for all women